0: Hello and welcome to Sacramentum, a podcast by and for the Parish Church of St. Jerome. If you're not a member of our parish and are joining us today, we're glad you're here. We are an inclusive Catholic community that offers all the church's sacraments to all of God's people. I'm Sam Beck, and I'm joined by our pastor, Father Joshua Shawnee, and our director of Christian education, Josh Beck. Today, in our inaugural episode of the podcast, we're beginning our series, Intro to St. Jerome's, and in this episode, we're talking about the sacraments. Um, but before we get into that discussion, since it's our first episode, I thought it would be helpful to give just maybe a a brief history about how St. Jerome's came to exist and why and by whom, etc, um, which I think will flow into our theme of all sacraments for all people. but
1: yeah, so St Jerome's is kind of an odd beast. It's a strange place, wonderfully, delightfully strange place. Um it was started in nineteen ninety five here in Tulsa, Oklahoma by. Uh, the Reverend Rick Hollingsworth, who was our founding pastor, who uh, eventually became the right Reverend Rick Hollingsworth. He was elevated to the uh, episcopacy um, later in life. And uh, he started the parish um, as a as a community f- primarily for LGBTQI plus individuals who are excluded from other um, places of worship. Um, initially, the parish was very Anglican uh, in orientation. That was uh, Father Hollingsworth, now Bishop Hollingsworth's uh, faith tradition, uh, coming into uh, ordination in the priesthood. Um, and so the church had a very distinctive Anglican feel. It was um, kind of an independent Anglican community. Um, a lot has changed in that in, in the time since 1995. A whole lot has changed. And as the Episcopal Church has become more and more inclusive of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, there was less of a need for St. Jerome's to maintain uh, that Anglican identity. Um, and so uh, over time, slowly, we gradually kind of uh, drifted a more Catholic uh, direction, uh, embraced our old Catholic identity and roots, um, and grew in that direction. Yeah, and so it's it's grown and changed. I started attending this parish uh, back in, I think, 96 or 97. was a kid at the time. Mm-hmm. wasn't even driving uh, yet, so my friend Lara Lawson... And I uh, would come in and uh, drive in from Grove, Oklahoma, all the mm. way to Tulsa—about an hour and a half drive, I think—to uh, yeah. go to uh, Saint Jerome's, which was this delightfully odd um, and inclusive and affirming Anglican and Catholic faith community. Um, it's grown and changed over over the years. Uh, seen a few different clergy people. Uh, been through a few of those independent Catholic. And anglican denominations and finally settled really into becoming a fully independent parish uh, which is what it is today mm-hmm. um, and so yeah so that's kind of a, a rough uh, explanation of saint jerome's its history um, and how we got to where we're at today okay where was the church when you started going so the very first time I attended, it was in a nursing home on Brookside, or not a nursing home, a funeral home on Brookside.
0: Oh, yeah, I've heard about the funeral. Yeah, yes. and it was so
1: funny. <laughs> uh, we showed up, and it was very small uh, back then. And in fact, there were more people serving at the altar than there were in the congregation, in the nave, where the people sat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, Lara, myself, and one other person were the only people mm-hmm. besides the people sitting at the altar. And so it was a really interesting a place because they didn't own this building that they this beautiful uh, facility that, that that we now own, mm-hmm. um, so yeah we we met at a funeral home on Brookside, and we would have parish fellowship out where they parked the hearses. So no, yeah, yeah, that was uh, some <laughs> of my earliest memories. By saying, parish ooh, fellowship, baby. do
0: you mean like a cookout, like a?
1: So uh, yeah, I'm, so a, like, I'm
0: envisioning a barbecue. Well, we in never the did barbecue. It was
1: like the after fellowship with like cake and punch. Okay. It was like in the garage where they kept the hearses. It was, yeah. <laughs> that so, sounds haunted. We've come a long way. We, we've we come a long way uh, as a parish. And yeah, and then of course we looked at a few different places. And, and I can't remember exactly when we bought this facility. It's a 100 year old church, it was previously a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were able to purchase this uh, location here at 205 West King. Um, redo the inside, make it, um, you know, Catholic conversant, Catholic usable, mm-hmm. put a center aisle in and an altar and all of that fun stuff. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I first started, we were at a literal funeral home.
2: Wow. I think I may start a campaign to go
1: back to a funeral home. Let's do it. <laughs> That's kind of a Linton feel. Right. Oh my God. Theologically, it's very rich. You <laughs> yes. know, one of the works of mercy is to bury the dead. We could do it right there. So, yeah. so Absolutely. easy. Yes. So easy. Yeah. From dust to dust, <laughs> right.
0: right? But one-stop shop. Yeah,
1: <laughs> those sermons would write themselves. Yeah, they would. I mean, <laughs> no that would kidding. that would be the plus for me. So. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh my gosh.
0: Okay. Well, I think that segues nicely into the concept that we're talking about today with, you know, the church's tagline of all sacraments for all people. Mm-hmm. That's like the the sounds like it was basically the founding mission of the church.
1: Yeah. Initially, as well. Yeah. And so a lot of, as I mentioned, a lot of the people who came to St. Jerome's were excluded from the faith communities they were raised in. Mm -hmm. Um, We've always uh, been a community that welcomed the queer community. Um, And for most of our history, we were overwhelmingly LGBTQI+. Um, It's only in recent years that we've seen more of a balance come to the parish. Um, There's some practical reasons for that. We were kind of the only LGBTQ affirming church in town, that was um, decidedly Christian. We had Yeah, in the 90s, I imagine. um, There were Unitarian churches and Quaker churches, but for people who wanted a traditional Christian experience, we were it. And now within like a 20-mile radius of the parish church of St. Jerome, there's now like 18 open and affirming communities of faith. Um, So in the same way that we kind of no longer needed to be Anglican because the Episcopal Church became more inclusive, um, as other churches have become more inclusive, our outreach— Uh, to the Tulsa community has expanded beyond the LGBTQI community um, to other groups of people. And one of the primary groups of people are uh, Roman Catholics who are unhappy um, with their own faith tradition, uh, who feel that the Church is exclusionary, particularly when it comes to sacraments, Uh, for Mm -hmm. instance, um, withholding uh, the sacrament of Holy Eucharist to Mm -hmm. those who are divorced, or withholding the sacrament of ordination to women. Or uh, openly LGBTQI plus individuals. Um, and so as a community that has always been affirming and welcoming of all people, uh, we that's really at the core of who we are. Um, we really strive to share all of the church's seven sacraments with all of God's people. Uh, if you're a woman and you uh, want to seek ordination, that's something we support. Uh, if you're a queer person and you want to get married, um, that's something we support. So we mm-hmm. try to live that charism of all sacraments for all people.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely a weird place.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It works for us, though. Yeah. Uh, It works for us, though. And we've seen a real uh, influx of people who, um, who even though not themselves, you know, are being withheld sacraments want to worship or raise their children in an environment where uh, inclusion is the norm Mm -hmm. um, and uh, inclusivity is the norm. Um, and that those sacraments are really, um, extended to everyone, all of their friends and family and relatives. And yeah, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of been interesting to see that unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I am glad you kind of touched on that sort of the all people half of that, um, of that phrase, like all the different ways that the church is inclusive. Um, I think it would be helpful for us to talk about what the sacraments are. Like, what does that mean? A lot of our people are are members and people are not, you know, we're not from a Catholic background, so.
1: Yeah, this is a really um, interesting parish in that the majority of, and I mean vast majority, probably close to 80% of our participants are converts to Catholicism. So they come from a variety of faith traditions. Uh, Quakers, Pentecostals, uh, Charismatics, Baptists, you know, Presbyterians, former Roman Catholics, Uh, They cover the spectrum, and so everyone comes uh, to St. Jerome's from a different place, um, but we all meet at the sacraments, and so Mm -hmm. that's at the core of who we are um, as Catholics. There are seven sacraments. We embrace all seven of the Church's uh, sacraments—baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, uh, penance, or reconciliation, also known as confession— um, anointing of the sick, matrimony, and holy orders. So those are the seven mm-hmm. sacraments. It's really helpful for us to think about the sacraments, those seven sacraments kind of being divided up into three different groups. Um, we call them the sacraments of Christian initiation, which include baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, uh, the sacraments of healing, which includes anointing of the sick, but also confession or penance and reconciliation. Um, but then the sacraments of vocation or service, which uh, would include, Holy Matrimony, marriage, and Holy Orders—people um, who are ordained to be uh, bishop, priest, and or deacon. Mm-hmm. So, those are the seven sacraments that kind of fall into those three uh, loose categories.
0: Yeah, and we'll dive more into those. But before we go into like each individual sacrament, what it is, why it exists, that sort of thing. Like, I am curious to hear your thoughts on what what is a sacrament. What makes something a sacrament.
2: I think the phrase that I have read um, I think it's uh, it may be used in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that it's um, it's an efficacious sign of God's grace. Um, so that encapsulates the fact that it is a sign um, that when doing a sacra- sacrament um, there is a whole ritual behind it um, that it is uh, you're embodying something, uh, a story even, When you're uh, bringing about that sacrament, but it's not just a sign or a symbol or something like that, but it brings about what it symbolizes. Um, It affects the thing that it's talking about in that moment. Um, So when you take the Eucharist during Mass, that whole process is building up, it's telling you the story that it is a table where you're eating and it is the body and blood of Christ. And that's what it gives you. Um, it actually gives you the body and blood of Christ and you get to, um, have the grace of sharing in the life of Christ through that. So, um, and you, we could go through all of the different sacraments on that, but, um, sacraments are efficacious signs of God's grace.
1: Yeah, another way to kind of talk about that is um, outward and visible signs of an invisible and interior grace. Um, and so one of the my favorite things about the sacraments is uh, they're rooted in human life. Um, they're rooted in the elements. They're rooted in things we can see and touch and smell and hear. Um, there's a real uh, sensuality to them. They're grounded in human experience. And we think about the oil that is used for confirmation or uh, anointing, um, uh, the uh, bread and the wine that are used in the mass, the water that's used in baptism—these um, are very primal, earthy experiences. Which, uh, for us, also gets to that incarnational nature of the sacraments—that God's grace is incarnate not only in um, in the person of Christ, uh, but in the life and witness of the church as expressed through those sac- sacraments. So as as Josh was saying, these are not just symbols for us. They're actually the means of grace by which Christ is further incarnate in us and in the world in which we live. Um, And how can that not be a grace-filled encounter? Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I love about the sacraments is
2: that they recognize what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a kind of spirituality that fits with what it means to be human. Because as humans, we are not simply... Uh, souls, and not simply bodies. We are um, an indissoluble combination of the two. Mm. And uh, sacraments recognize the fact that our spirituality should be a combination of spirit and materiality. And so every one of the sacraments includes both of those aspects. Um, And so we're able to engage in the life of God through our bodily life and Mm -hmm. recognizes both like you said those visible and invisible realities
0: yeah that's something I've appreciated a lot too um I I don't think that English has a very good term for this but you know you can know something intellectually but if you're not physically Mm
1: -hmm.
0: engaging with Mm -hmm. that then how much do you really know it like like I you can know all the steps of some procedure of how to do a thing. Like I'm thinking to my medical training and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but you don't actually know how to do it until you have done it. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it just reminds me of that, that
1: the sacraments are so embodied, right. That I think it really helps to, um, helps us to live into that story, to live into that body of Christ, to live into that grace, um, in a way that is not pie in the sky away in the future heaven, Mm -hmm. Um, that will all take care of itself. The sacraments are for us here and now. Um, They're embedded within time and space in such a way that sanctifies time and space itself. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of forces you into that, like you're talking about, experiential understanding Mm -hmm. of those those graces, of those mysteries.
0: Yeah.
2: And the sacraments themselves are a story. Mm. Like they go through the whole person's life.
1: Womb to tomb, (laughs) as we say. There's a sacrament for everything, womb yeah. to
2: tomb. So it's encompassing the entire life of the Christian. Um, so you're able to, because they, they're all, um, they're a means of grace. So they're all giving you grace in some way. Um, and grace is participation in the life of God. Um, and so they're all different ways of being able to participate in the life of God throughout the Christian's life, which is the entire point of the Christian life mm. is to participate in the life of God. Um, and so, and it's an embodied way to do it. And it's, um, it's just, it's beautiful. Um, the sacraments are just so cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that we could wax on about that for a while, <laughs> but let's get into the sacraments of initiation. So like you said, womb to tomb, let's start at the beginning with baptism.
1: Baptism. Yeah.
0: Um, Ready, set, go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, baptism is such a powerful um, sacrament. Um, It's really the entry point for the Christian into the life and witness um, of the church. And there are so many powerful images with that Um, water. You know, that's where life starts, and that's where baptism starts. Um, And the baptismal is a sort of womb, you know, through which we're born into the world. And and in the same way, that baptismal water... Is the, is the womb, is the means by which we're born in into the church. Um, and for us, we baptize everyone. So babies all the way up to uh, senior citizens and, and people uh, on their deathbeds. Um, because for us, it's not just an affirmation of that person's faith, because, of course, children are too young oftentimes. Um, but it's being born into that family of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why we have Godparents. You know, they're affirming that even if the parent cannot raise this child in the Catholic tradition, there will be others in the community that step in to raise that child up. And I think that's such a powerful way to understand the sacrament of baptism, to understand um, the grace that's that's received through that. Um, we do believe that baptism uh, washes away original sin, um, as Augustine uh, understands it. Um, so that's uh, another, Way that water speaks to what's being accomplished there. Um, but we carry that baptismal water with us through the rest of our lives. And those waters water everything the garden of our spirituality, the garden of our faith um, from womb to tomb. Um, and we even, every time we walk in uh, to the sanctuary, uh, there's a, a small place, uh, a vat of holy water, that people will cross themselves uh, with this blessed water and remember their own baptism. Um, as they're entering the church, uh, recalling when they entered the church, uh, whether they can remember that or not, and so I think that's that's so powerful and and so necessary for us today.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember what all is involved in a baptism, I guess, right? Um, because thinking about the idea of uh, sacraments as efficacious signs. We have the idea of the baptism as being dying and rising with Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, you talked about the idea of the, um, I guess the womb, there's that picture there. Um, but also it's, so it's bringing about forgiveness of sins through dying and rising of Christ, bringing about new life through that, um, um, coming out of the womb. Um, and then the other effect is that you're grafted into the Christian community. Mm-hmm. What are the ways that um, that is symbolized in the baptism? Yeah,
1: so in the earliest days of the church, um, the baptismals were quite large, and people would literally walk down into them. Um, and, and some Protestant churches today, they're still quite large. And, and so a person is laid back into the water, buried with Christ, and then raised with Christ. Um, in most Catholic churches, some of uh, the larger ones still have large baptismals, but ours is quite small. Um, and so we, we pour, um, but it's a symbol of the washing of that sin um, away. Uh, and so a few things happen. Um, so uh, the child or adult uh, comes forward, and uh, they have to affirm their baptismal covenant. If the child is too young, uh, the baptismal covenant is affirmed by their parents and godparents. We do what's called a minor exorcism rite uh, here at St. Jerome's. We place blessed salt in the water, Um, And ask that the the baptismal candidate or their parents and godparents um, renounce Satan and his works. And then I I will even sprinkle the blessed salt uh, on the the heads of the individuals. Do you know why salt is used? Do what? Do you know why salt is used?
0: That's a good question. Yeah,
1: so salt has always meant uh, stood for purification. Oh, okay. It's also something of great value. It has and Uh. it uh, preserves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there are multiple levels on a natural level of what salt accomplishes Yeah, um, that the ancients saw that as a means, as a symbol, kind of as a manifestation of preservation and Mm -hmm. cleanliness and value. And so that's pretty much why we think salt was initially used. I thought
2: demons just didn't like salty
1: things. Yeah, they don't. I love salt. So I guess that's a good sign. That is a good sign. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so uh, so after they uh, you know we, we bless the water and we place the, the salt in the water and we go through what we call the minor exorcism, right? Uh, they're brought forward um, and they're baptized. Uh, we pour three times in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. and we call that the Trinitarian uh, formula for baptism. that is absolutely a prerequisite for us. We always do baptism uh, in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, and then uh, these individuals, our children or adults are, are dressed in a white robe. And that's a symbol of their new life in Christ, uh, their sinless state, having the uh, stain of original sin washed away from them. Um, It's also an ancient um, reference to uh, the book of Revelation, where we hear in the book of Revelation, the great white-robed army of martyrs and saints in heaven uh, singing uh, the praise of God uh, before the the throne of the Lamb. Um, And so they're taking their place in that great... Uh, crowd and that great crowd of witnesses, um, singing Christ's praise for eternity. Um, we also anoint them uh, on in oil, which is a symbol of preservation, again, of, of the work and power of the Holy Spirit, of being anointed and set apart. Anoint them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, and the last thing we do is light a, a candle for them uh, off of the, the big Paschal Christ candle and hand that to them or to their parents. And that's a symbol of the light of Christ that now lives inside of them. And so Mm -hmm. those are some of the the things that kind of play out in the sacrament of baptism. Mm -hmm.
2: It's a very rich sacrament. There's a lot going into that one.
1: There's a lot. There's a lot going on, a lot going into that.
2: Is your microphone falling on you? It is. It's getting droopy. Yes. <laughs> it slides farther and farther down. You're like sliding down in I your know, chair I'm like to, get, try to try to, to, to level. it. With it with I'm going to be on the floor. Did it?
1: <laughs> did it also eat too much Mexican food? It did. It's, it also, yeah. It, it I, I was, feel was, that it wasn't the Mexican food. It was the margarita. I think. Uh, oh. really. uh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Microphone. Me too. So, <laughs>
2: yeah. I liked that you were doing the uh, hand cupping of the uh,
1: water as you are explaining that yeah. for yeah. all of our podcast listeners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they couldn't see it. I'm a priest. You know, we have these <laughs> things embedded in us. We, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, that's a really uh, funny point because the gestures are also really important. I'm mm-hmm. um, not only like the water, but there are so many gestures that go in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's you, you're the one who said some, everything means something. Like right. Every ritual gesture, every word is really thought out and really planned in such a way to convey the truth of that grace that is occurring mm-hmm. um, within the life of the Christian at that moment. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're burying them with water. <laughs> physically <laughs> burying them with water. And Have they're, fun Like that <laughs> <their, laughs> you know? For the
2: listener, yeah. he just did the, the uh, gesture again, and this time he hit his microphone stand. Yes. Microphone so yes. Yeah, so <laughs> emphatically. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of lore <laughs> In Catholicism. It's very
2: deep. Yeah. Yes. Very deep. Yeah. yeah. So is there a way in which, um, oh, actually I wrote this in the the notes. So I think I'm taking Sam's, um,
0: I, yeah, I know you did here. a little bit ago and I was like, <laughs> take it away, Josh. Okay.
2: My bad. <laughs> is there a way that this looks different at St. Jerome's than it does at other Catholic churches? Um, a way in which, uh, we do baptism as, you know, for all people in a way that is different. No.
1: And I think that's probably a good thing, um, because baptism is kind of the thing that all Christians share, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I think it's good that we follow a very standard, standard practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it
0: might be the only one that's not different.
1: Yeah, that confirmation is not different for us. Penance and it's in reconciliation aren't different, but yeah, yeah. Okay. A lot of our sacraments are practiced in a very kind of a different way, much more open and inclusive way. Yeah. Um, so yeah. We do invite uh, children to come forward and to kind of gather around, but I, I think others do that as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. our, our baptisms are very standard.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um.
0: Okay. Next up would be confirmation. So when we had that class to with the group of people that was like becoming members mm-hmm. of Saint Jerome's, like a year ago, we went through the sacraments and talked about them as like this is what's happening. And this is the grace that is conferred. So let's talk about like what is happening and or being symbolized with confirmation.
1: Yeah. So confirmation is an adult's decision to follow Christ in the Catholic church. Um, because we do, uh, baptize oftentimes children, so young, even babies. Um, there is an additional sacrament of initiation called confirmation by which, uh, an adult in full ownership and ability of their you know, cognitive and spiritual and emotional uh, faculties uh, seeks to confirm their faith um, and commit to following Christ in the Catholic tradition. Um, so what that looks like is a person, typically a bishop, um, comes to the parish, and in his role as heir to the apostles and symbol of Christ in the unity of the church, Um, lays hands and anoints those individuals uh, with sacred oil and anoints them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That oil is a symbol of the gifts and blessings of the Holy Spirit um, being confirmed and strengthened within that Christian um, as that Christian confirms their faith as an adult and commits um, to living out that faith in a very intentional and serious way. Um, so that's kind of the external thing that's happening mixed with the internal. Um, but the Spirit is marked um, as christ own in a special way uh, within that person. And so we believe that the sacraments are uh, indelible. They leave indelible marks on the soul. They are permanent and eternal. Um, and so that person is, is eternally being strengthened for their, their life and their mission and their ministry um, as Catholics. Uh, so we call that almost uh the ordination to the priesthood of all believers mm-hmm. um is that sacrament of confirmation
0: we kind of talked about it a little bit but i guess is there anything else that we want to touch on as far as like i'm i'm envisioning the like spreadsheet we had written out on the whiteboard on the right hand of the column where we would talk about like the the grace that is being conferred mm-hmm. you talked about it a little bit already but sure. i don't know if either of you have anything else you want to talk about
2: Isn't part of the idea that there's like a, you're being sealed with the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. an increase and deepening of the Holy Spirit's power in your life, that kind of thing. And with that would obviously come gifts of uh, spirit and uh, fruit of the spirit in your life, that kind of thing. So um, it also seems to be um, very uh, spirit focused Mm -hmm. confirmation. Mm -hmm. And with that one, you also get a candle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's part of what that symbolizes, right? Yeah, so
1: a lot of what happens in confirmation is um, the gifts and graces that were placed in you at your baptism are strengthening, strengthened and brought to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see those uh, those graces that are placed in you at baptism really coming uh, into fruition. So that's why you get anointed with oil again. That's why um, you get another lit candle to symbolize that power and work of the Holy Spirit within you. And um, the Holy uh-huh. Spirit is the agent that conveys the grace uh, uh-huh. to, the, um, to the life of the confirmand. Um, that's why we wear red, um, lots of incense, lots of candles uh-huh. um, as a symbol of that grace, you know, kind of working in you and being strengthened in you. Um, but it's not just so that, you know, you can get to heaven. Um, there's a real sense that confirmation is a call. Right. Confirmation is the beginning of that adult's Christian vocation. To go from being a baby in the church, being birthed in the church, um, to being active, engaged, Mm -hmm. Catholic, that's not only devoting their life to this, but in some way taking on, uh, in some capacity, their own ministry as an adult Catholic. Mm -hmm. To go
0: from milk to solid food.
1: Absolutely. So in addition to the work of the Holy Spirit and the grace is being confirmed, there's also the third thing is this real sense of being sent out. Mm -hmm. to do the work of the church in the world, that confirmation really um, seals you for.
2: I hadn't noticed that uh, dimension of it, but I really like that. Um, Because I think too often when people, I don't know, coming from more evangelical backgrounds, a lot of times entering into the church is uh, praying a prayer where it's like, okay, now I'm a Christian, I'm going to go to heaven. Um, But with confirmation, it's now I'm in, I'm going to get to work, <laughs> right? I'm going to start creating justice in the world, bringing right. about the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start, you know, making sure that my neighbor is loved, and um, my community is cared for, and those kinds of things. So um,
1: yeah, really that, that grace looks different in every Christian's life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some people go right into the choir loft and canter and sing and lead worship. Some people are called, you know, to go out and to evangelize, you know, in our culture. Um, some people are called to the ministries of service. Um, but confirmation is that that leaping off point for all of us mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, and you get put to work. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Catholics are always being yeah. put to work. That's yeah. a theme. And it never stops. <laughs> yeah. Even when you're dead. That's right. Even when you're dead, you just have to spend your time praying for everyone else.
0: <laughs> um, okay. We had mentioned already, I think, that you know, there's a there's a bullet point here for us to talk about how this might be different at st Jerome's but I think we already touched on that confirmation is one of the few that's largely the
1: same yeah it's pretty much the same okay um, so we do uh, have as an independent parish this is something that's different um, as an independent parish we don't belong to a larger communion or community so the parish itself um, is independent so we actually call in a bishop um, uh, usually the 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 communion or community that the clergy is associated with, um, calls the, their Bishop and that Bishop comes in. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I'm the pastor of the parish I serve and it's part of the society of mercy. And so our Bishop's name is Will. And so we actually bring Will in from Kentucky, uh, flies in from Kentucky to, to serve, um, in that capacity. So we actually invite a Bishop in, um, to our independent parish, and, and he provides or she provides uh, that sacrament for us. So that is some way that St. Jerome's is kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, as an independent parish, uh, the parish doesn't have a bishop, the clergy do. And so mm-hmm. the clergy calls their bishop, and then you know, we, we, bring in a, we fly in a bishop uh, from out of the area <laughs> that confers that sacrament. Um, in rare cases, a priest can be given permission to confirm, um, but for us since um, we believe that those are apostolic gifts that are being confirmed and affirmed in the life of the Christian. The proper person to celebrate that sacrament uh, is the bishop who has within himself or herself the fullness of holy orders and those apostolic gifts going back via apostolic succession all the way to Christ and the apostles. And mm-hmm. so it's pretty special also to have a bishop come in and do those those confirmations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So confirmation is
2: baptism part two?
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's uh, kind of like the next step. Yeah, um, It's uh, the gifts and graces of baptism brought to fruition in such a way that um, the gifts and graces that are in you are confirmed and strengthened and renewed and revived. And from that gift of confirmation, you're sent out then to uh, baptize all others in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and build the church, uh, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So I would say that a good way to describe it is uh, the gifts and graces of baptism fully revealed in the life and witness of the adult Catholic. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, let's talk about the Eucharist. Yeah. That is not a word that I ever used before coming here. So maybe let's start with that. What is the Eucharist?
2: Giving thanks. Yeah, Thanksgiving meal. Yeah. Yeah, it comes from uh, the Greek uh, Eucharisto, um, which is, uh, I guess, literally, it's good gift. um, But uh, it was a word that they used to say giving thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's the Thanksgiving meal. Do
0: we want to talk about, oh, gosh, I was going to say, do we want to talk about the things that happen? during the Eucharist, but that's like the whole mass. Yeah. it's (laughs) We can't walk through that
1: whole thing. (laughs) Right. And it's so central to the life of, of even old Catholics and independent Catholics, because what makes us Catholic is when we is gathering around the Eucharist together, uh, with Catholics across time and space with our Bishop who unites us, you know, to all other Catholics across time and space. And so it's at the root in the, the foundation of who we are as Catholics. Um, and I love, uh, you know, I think it was Vatican II that said it's the source and summit of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so unfortunately, it's not something we're going to be able to fully discuss, uh, kind of in in one podcast episode. But um, at the root of the Eucharist, at the center of the Eucharist, is this sincere belief that Christ's presence remains with his church forever. Um, And it remains in in a variety of ways. as the body of Christ, when we gather, when two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he's with us, he's, he's among us, so we are the body of Christ. Um, but as Catholics, we believe that through the holy sacrifice of the Mass, um, Christ is made physically present in the elements of bread and wine, of Holy Communion. Um, and so through the miracle of transubstantiation, um, when a priest in valid op- apostolic succession um, calls down uh, the Holy Spirit what we call epiclesis um, praise the words of institution that Christ himself spoke upon these elements that the whole the work of the Holy Spirit makes those elements um, to quote to quote Aquinas, to quote Aquinas uh, through transubstantiation um, the very body and blood of Christ Christ is really and truly present with the body of Christ at that moment um and so, yeah, it's, a, it's the miracle we get to experience every time we come to church. Um, and it really defines who we are as Catholics, our work in the world. It's the source and summit of our life as Christians, is this mm-hmm. sacrifice of the Mass and Christ's abiding presence with us, um, as he says in Scripture, to the very end of the age. Mm-hmm.
0: I like that phrase, source and summit. And it reminds me of my favorite thing that you say during the Mass before the Eucharist, um, receive what you are, become what you receive, yeah. the body of Christ.
1: Yeah, that's actually a paraphrase. Uh, that's actually not part of the, the mass text, the liturgy text. That's a paraphrase of some of my favorite of uh, St. Augustine's writings mm. um, of his teachings, because I think it really does summarize that source and summit theology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at once the feast that we enjoy um, as, as Catholic Christians, but also a foretaste of the feast that is to come. Um, So it's feast and foretaste. And so it's the source and summit is simultaneously the means by which we enjoy communion with Christ and his church Mm -hmm. and the very, at the same time, the very manifestation and realization um, at 205 West King Street of the body of Christ on earth and and that that great feast, that marriage supper of the lamb. And so, yeah, feast Mm -hmm. foretaste. Um,
0: It's like it's the food at the party, but it's also the fuel that gets you to the gathering. Yeah, and it also is what makes
1: us into the body of Christ, which mm-hmm. empowers and inspires and informs the church as it goes out and serves as the body of Christ in the world. So it's that mechanism, that that grace, that sacrament, that means by which the body of Christ is also carried out. So we're, it is the body of Christ and it makes us into the body of Christ. And then through that, we go out to be the body of Christ. And, mm-hmm. and so it's deep. There's a lot going on in that miracle of the mass.
0: Yeah.
2: I think what you just said, Sam, is another example of that, of it being a, an efficacious sign because uh, that idea of being a feast that is also the source is kind of what food is. <laughs> right. Um, and so uh, it's doing what food does, mm-hmm. um, but just in a spiritual way. Um, and so we are taking in the body of Christ to become the body of Christ. There's actually uh, a. Quote from Aquinas that I discovered the other day. On I always want to hear a quote from Aquinas. Okay, I figured I figured (laughs) you always down to hear Aquinas. Yeah. So talking about the Eucharist, he said, "For the food is not changed into the one who eats it, but turns the one who takes it into itself. And Mm -hmm. so this is a food capable of making man divine and inebriating him with divinity." Mm. Mm. I love that.
0: I think Aquinas just said, "You are what you eat."
2: That's
1: right. Yes, right.
2: And if what you're eating is Jesus, (laughs) right, that's what what you become. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think one of the things that is unique, and I hope I'm not jumping on your question here, um, but you've been talking about the ways in which we are different, you know, compared to other Catholic communities. One of my favorite things about Saint Jerome's is we have what's called an open table, Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of, for instance, in the Roman Catholic Church, not only do you have to be a Roman Catholic. You have to be a Roman Catholic in good standing in a state of grace, having no mortal sin on your conscience. And so, um, in order to receive, uh, we believe that um, this, the sacrament, the Holy Eucharist, can draw us into the very presence of Christ. And so, because of that, we have an open table, open communion. So, not only uh, do we encourage all Catholics to receive communion as often as they can, um, we open that table to everyone. We have an uh-huh. open table. Um, So you don't have to be a member of this or any church to receive Holy Eucharist with us, um, because we believe truly that that call to communion comes from Christ himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it is him who calls you to the table. It's not our table. Um, I'm a steward at that table. Um, And so we welcome everyone to join us to receive that sacrament, because we truly believe if anything is going to change us into the likeness of Christ, it will be that mass. Um, it will be that Holy Eucharist, um, and so one of the ways that Saint Jerome's is different is we have an open table, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty unusual uh, for a Catholic community. So we welcome everyone, and we get people from all different kind of backgrounds and no background, and uh, children and noisy children all the way up to you know senior citizens. And, um, and for us, it's a real symbol of what the kingdom of God really looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no gates. Uh, no gatekeepers at St. Jerome's, um, we welcome all of God's children um, to the table and, and really see that as again, the source and summit, uh, as the kingdom of God realized, um, in time and space is our share, our little tiny share in, in that great church Mm -hmm. that transcends time and space.
0: Yeah. That's something I really appreciate about our mass. Um, my mom's side of the family is Roman Catholic, and so I have been to Roman Catholic mass a couple of times. But was I was not uh, raised in the Roman Catholic church by any means, um, and so it was always weird when we would go because we couldn't take communion, and I was I like didn't understand why or what that meant. Like I was a kid, but my parents were like, "No, you can't," and it just felt weird, like like we we weren't the right kinds of Christian or we weren't Christian enough to participate. And I imagine that even if you were a member of that church and Roman Catholic, that it would be easy to feel that same way. Because like you said, it's not just you have to be a member of the church. You have to be like in good standing and you have to wonder about whether you have sin on your conscience and all of those things. And it feels like that just is requiring people to get healthy before they go to the doctor.
1: Mm. I think that's a wonderful way to put it. Can I use that? I'm going to yes. steal that.
0: Yes, you can. <laughs>
1: Getting healthy, but to go to the doctor, I think that's exactly right. Um, so even if it's you know issues of sin in your life, what better way to draw near to Christ than to receive Him in the in the bread and the wine, to take His very presence? You know, what better way to draw closer to to the church, mm-hmm. to begin that spiritual journey toward Christ? Yeah, and so a lot of I, I love your you know talking about going to the doctor because. Some of the church fathers and mothers refer to the Eucharist as medicine for mm-hmm. the soul. Um, I also think it can be medicine for the community. Um, we talk a lot about unity. You know, We talk a lot about being the body of Christ and living into that call. Um, so it's not just good for us. It's good for the church to receive communion, to gather around um, that table together. I think it heals us, as we say, in body, mind, spirit, and community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's healed through that Eucharist. And so that's another reason we have an open table. Um, it's part of our mission to heal the entire world. Um, and as a, a member of the Society of Mercy, you know, that we practice that sacramentally. We extend that sacramental mercy uh, to all, that healing to all. Um, and the Eucharist accomplishes just that. So why would you turn someone away from that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then just on a practical level, I always stop as a pastor and try and ask myself, could I imagine Jesus saying these words? Mm-hmm. Could I imagine Jesus saying, oh, you've been divorced. Sorry, you cannot receive my sacramental presence. <laughs> or can no. you uh, can you imagine Jesus stopping someone and saying, oh, you're dealing with a sin issue in your life, a struggle in your life. Sorry, stay in your pew. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine Christ saying those words. And so um, I'm happy to be serving in a, in a parish where And we get to invite everyone to come trusting that that grace, that efficacious grace, will work in their life however it needs to.
2: Yeah. Um, I think we have a perfect example of that in Jesus himself mm. because he uh, served to Judas. Judas. Yeah, (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's like, of of course he wouldn't.
1: Right. right. Yeah, and that's the first first communion. Yeah. So it all started there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Bam
0: mic drop open table
1: <laughs> yes it just makes sense it just yeah. makes sense we've got to figure it figured out yeah. i think <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> just ask us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: do we have any other thoughts about the eucharist i don't know it's amazing i feel like this one's everybody's
2: favorite yeah no, we're definitely gonna do a whole like series where we do an episode over each
0: Each sacrament. Each sacrament or something. Dive deep.
2: At least do an episode on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because we need to talk more in depth on the Eucharist.
0: I don't think Um, we can be Catholic if we don't do an episode on the Eucharist. Right.
1: (laughs) Right. I think you're right. And I I won't shut up about it. So (laughs) give me an opportunity to to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Perfect.
2: I've only been Catholic for a year and I'm already at the
1: point where I have a hard time not talking about it. Yeah. Same. Same girl, same.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can find the notes for this episode at stjerometulsa.org. And if you're new here, it's also a great place to find out more about our parish. That's stjerometulsa.org. Thank you for listening to Sacramentum, and we'll talk to you next episode.